Well, good morning, Faithbrook and friends. Welcome to this uh, 1030 service. You guys are looking good. I see a lot of you with tans. So why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, hey, you're looking good. All right. Tell them that. Welcome. Got our shorts on. Some of you been to cabins, skiing, swimming. It's a good summer. And it's a great time to start off our Sunday service with just coming and acknowledging Christ and how he wants to use us to make an impact in our crazy world out there. So welcome today. If this is your first time or second time, we would love to just send you a thank you note uh, for being our guest in front of you in in your chair is a little blue card. We're glad that you're here. And if you would just give us your name, at least an email, that would be awesome. You can place it in our offering boxes on your way out. And for every uh, blue card we get, we send $5 to the local uh, food shelf to feed uh, hungry, needy people. So we would uh, love for you to uh, fill that out. And by the way, you can keep the pen. Woohoo! right? All right. Well, um, it's all about impact, right? God has created each one of us. And around here, we like to say we like to make an impact personally, and we like to make an impact um, locally and an impact globally. Uh, Last week, we talked about our personal impact. Pastor Taylor talked about just be magnified on the people we reach and we associate with. Uh, Could they see Christ? Are we being a blessing or a drainer? Now, next Sunday is our summer uh, services, which we only have one service at 10 o'clock. People kind of travel and scatter. So next Sunday, July 3rd, will just be at 10 o'clock through July and August. Uh, But this Sunday, we are going to specifically focus on global impact. We remember the words of Christ in Acts where he says that I am, I am commissioning you or I am uh, filling you to be my witnesses right here in your hometown, Jerusalem, to other cultures of Samaria and Judea and to the rest of the world, to the ends of the earth. And so a lot of times that takes missionaries to go to the ends of the earth, to go to uh, different languages and tribes and people to share Christ. And we are fortunate enough today to have a couple of career missionaries that are attached to our tribe, our our church, and that is John and Shirley Fisher. They're going to explain in a little bit that Faithbrook is associated in connection with a movement called the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, Jesus' nickname was the Nazarene, so we kind of coined ourselves the church of that, that one guy, that Nazarene guy. And because of 120 years of missionary work, our movement has uh, produced uh, about 2.6 million uh, members around the world. Faithbrook is just one of 30,000 churches that are trying to propel, prepare the gospel of Christ to reach people. And uh, we're going to hear more about how we connectively and, and globally are making a difference to our, our world. Uh, one little secret about John, who's going to come and share, that John uh, grew up in Minnesota, in fact, New Hope. Uh, this Faithbrook Church was originally an 80-year-old church in Osseo, and he grew up in the uh, DNA of this local church. And he grew up so well, we raised him so well, that he's going to share that he got, became obedient to Christ and did a crazy thing for the last 29 years. And you also might be uh, called to do something like that. What an adventure. What a thrill. So would you give a warm w- welcome to uh, John and Shirley Fisher. Welcome, John. Good to have you. All right. Thank you. Oh, it's good to be home today, good to be back, um, and I don't know, he says I grew up so well, but I'm, I, I shocked everybody 
when I left for the mission field. So even my old Sunday school teachers were shocked that I, that I turned out to be a missionary. Um, but they, they planted the seed, and uh, along the way somewhere, God called me. Um, I want to share a little bit about the Church of the Nazarene, some numbers. And so if we can put up that, uh, Church of the Nazarene, we're in six world areas, USA and Canada in the orange uh, Central America, we call Mesoamerica, South America, Africa, Asia Pacific, and Eurasia. We served in South America there. We were in Venezuela and Ecuador. Go to the next slide. Right there, as Jim said, these numbers are from 2020. They're slightly different, and I've got new numbers since I sent these to, to Pastor Jim. But 31,000 churches around the world. Um, you can see the USA and Canada, 5,000 churches. Some of the areas actually have more churches. Eurasia, 8,600. Africa, 8,600. Boy, we need to plant some more churches around the U.S. here. All right, let's go ahead. This is kind of just a pie chart. says the same numbers you can see. USA and Canada, the orange ones, not quite as big as some of the others. Uh, for the visual learners, they can see that and know that we need to get busy. Go ahead. Members, 2.6 million members around the world. Again, USA and Canada, we got a good number, 600,000, but Africa, 800,000. We need to step it up again here, get some more members. Go ahead, and that's the same numbers in a pie chart. Yellow's a little bigger than the, than the orange one, uh, but we're, we're, we, got, uh, we got the vision, so we're going we're gonna to do better. Go ahead. Clergy, 30,000 clergy in the Church of the Nazarene. We need more clergy. We need more people willing to step up and uh, be pastors. Uh, can be senior pastors, youth pastors, children's pastors, all kinds. Go ahead. Uh, this is our missionaries, 531 missionaries in the Church of the Nazarene. And the green one in there, uh, 64 countries, represented by 64 countries. So they're not just from the states going out to other countries, but actually we have missionaries going from 64 different countries all around the world. And I believe right now we are in 168 world areas. Go ahead. And this one gets me excited, work and witness. That's what I do, the teams that go out and help build churches. And this one says that uh, 2,600 team members, and the number I really get excited about is 173 labor hours in all of those teams. Boy, that's a lot of labor hours uh, by our volunteer teams that go out. And so that, that's 173,000 labor hours that I didn't have to do. So that's why I get excited about that one. Go ahead. We have educational institutions all around the world, and some of them are in the States, uh, as our university that I graduated from in Kansas City, which is Mid-American Nazarene University. But all over the world, we have 51 educational institutes. And one of them is Quito, Ecuador, a seminary, uh, also where, where I had a shop in my office. Go ahead. Right there, it says, uh, world evangelism giving is the cornerstone of Nazarene missions. And so... Uh, you, we need to thank you, go to the, to the thank you. Thank you for being part of the movement of God through the people of God. This is only possible from the churches around the world that give so that missionaries can go out and do their work around the world. And so uh, 2.6 million members were part of a great denomination, uh, and that continues to grow. And so thank you. And so I want to share a little bit today about our call to the mission field and then a little bit about what God's been doing in Ecuador uh, we were 15 years in Venezuela, and the last 14 we've served in, in Ecuador. We are back now after 29 years, and uh, we're in a year of going around and speaking in churches. This will be our 30th year, and at the end of the year, uh, they're putting us out to pasture. We're retired. I don't know what that means, really. I'm too young to retire, so I'm going to have to find something to do, um, and I don't think that's going to be a problem. 
Uh, but actually, they, the church has sent our youngest daughter, Krista, and her husband down to Ecuador to be missionaries now, and they are doing some of the work that we were doing, working with the teams that are building churches. We have a table set up out there in the lobby with some things on it. One is our prayer card. If you'd be willing to pray for us, pick up one of those prayer cards. If you'd be willing to pray for our daughter and son-in-law and my little grandson, Samuel, as they are uh, starting into the new ministry down there in Ecuador. They went down in January. Please take one of their prayer cards. And also, there is a bookmark. If you'd take that, that one says Ecuador. Uh, take that, put that in your Bible or your devotional book, and remember to pray for our people and our churches in Ecuador. We'd really appreciate that. I want to talk first a little bit about what is a missionary or what would make a really good missionary. Um, I grew up in the church, and I heard missionaries speak, and I thought I knew what would make a good missionary. I was not it. I thought missionaries would be one of four things. They would be a preacher, a teacher, doctor, or nurse. Uh, obviously, preachers out there planting their churches, teachers at the 51 educational institutes we have around the world, and doctors and nurses in our clinics and hospitals. I graduated from Mid-America Nazarene University with an accounting degree. And so I didn't think I would end up on the mission field. I have since learned that accountants are needed on the mission field. Um, actually, I spoke at Southern Nazarene University in Oklahoma a couple months ago, and I told the students, if you have a call to go to the mission field, the quickest ticket you can get to get to the mission field is go take an accounting course, because accountants are needed on the mission field. Uh, and so also pastors, teachers, and doctors and nurses as well, but Surprise, accountants are needed as well. Um, but I, I kind of realized that I had created this box that all missionaries uh, fit in the box and they should all be, have these characteristics. Uh, second characteristic I think about missionaries are going to be the ones that like to get up in front of people and speak. I don't like this part of my job. I like to be out building the churches. I don't like to get up, although when I get up here, I love sharing about the great things that God is doing and uh, around the world and especially where we've been working. So uh, Jim told me to slow down. Uh, I, the first service, I was cranking it out. I was like, Jim's got me on the clock up there. I got to say a lot of stuff. I got to talk fast. Um, but, you know, missionaries, they're going to be the ones that like to, 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 to be up in front of people. They're going to get that opportunity. Second thing I think about, missionaries are going to be the ones, I, I kind of term them as the meter greeter type. Uh, there's people that can go into a room and meet everybody and just work the room and greet, and, and they're really good at that. And I am not. Shirley's a little better. Um, actually, right now, Shirley, I believe, she's out with the kids doing a lesson with the kids in missions. That's her passion, is the kids in missions. Um, but the meter greeters, they're going to get an opportunity. I, specifically in South America where we've been serving, the, the greeting is really important. Uh, I, I have an office that, uh, at the seminary. I do some finance work there. And um, when I go in in the morning, I have to remember to greet everybody as I go in. Otherwise, they're just going to come in my office. doesn't matter. I can be in the middle of a meeting, but they're going to come in the office to get that greeting. It's that important. At the end of the day, I have to remember to ungreet everybody as I leave. Otherwise, I'm going to hear about that the next day. Um, but the greeting, vital, very important to Latin America where we were serving um, I have a shop in, at the seminary where I do a lot of welding, uh, making trusses and doors and windows for our churches. Um, and one day I was welding. I had my gloves on, my helmet down. I'm welding away. And I felt one of my workers came in and he was behind me. And so I stopped what I was doing, flipped my shield up. And I said, yep, yeah, what is it? And he says, well, I'm here to work. And I said, okay, good morning, get to work. 
And he said, well, you, you need to greet me. Well, what I've realized over the years in Ecuador, it's not really an official greeting unless you touch the person. And so I, I, I didn't realize that for a long time, but as I watch people, that's the way it is. Uh, ladies, uh, ladies and ladies, they're kissing on the cheek as they greet, and men and women kissing on the cheek as they greet. Thank goodness the men don't kiss on the cheek. Uh, men and men, we, we just do a handshake. Argentina, they do that on the cheek, kiss and kiss. Thank goodness, Ecuador, we didn't do that. Um, but I, I realized that that handshake is, is critical to the greeting. And so I, I had to stop what I was doing and talk to my worker, and I said, look, when you come to the shop in the morning, you need to get busy, you need to get working. And he's like, yeah, but the greeting, and I said, okay, let me just, when we're outside the shop, we can do that official greeting. When we're inside the shop, we're just gonna say good morning and get to work. And he's like, yeah, but, and I'm like, okay, let me explain a little bit about my culture. And I said, in the States, if you go into a room and there's a people in there, you can just give them a, hey, everybody, and that covers the room. And he's like, no way, that's not a greeting. And I said, let me go a little further and explain that if you're in a room with a group of guys, you can just walk in, kind of give a head nod, that covers the room. He's like, no, that's not a greeting. I said, hey, when we get outside the shop, we'll do the handshake thing, but in here, good morning, get busy. And he said, okay. But that greeting is critical. In our culture we worked in, the greeting, critical. Missionaries, man, you gotta be good at that. Third thing I think about languages. Languages, there are people that, man, they just hear another language and they're speaking another language. Shirley and I, after 29 years, everybody says, man, you gotta be fluent in Spanish by now. We're not. It's been hard. Our daughters are fluent in Spanish. They grew up, they were one in three when we moved to Venezuela. Uh, they would go out in the park and play and uh, they would come in with new words every day. I'd have to call up the local pastor and find out if their new words were actually good words or not. A lot of times I'd have to say, okay, you got new words, don't remember those. Those are not good words. Uh, my, my, my older daughter gives me a hard time about my Spanish and I, I give her a hard time right back saying, hey, you're fluent, but that, that park Spanish really isn't what you need in the church, so that doesn't do you good all the time. Um, but man, people... Missionaries, if they're the ones that have that ability, that gift to learn languages, man, that, they would be so much further along uh, in their process because that's something that's needed. Another thing I think about missionaries, they're the ones that like to try new foods. I don't know why people would do, do that. Um, I, I go to restaurants sometimes and I hear comments. Somebody will say, hey, look, something new on the menu. I should try that. Why? Why do that? Why not get what you've always had that you know you like? But there's people that like to try foods. A number of years ago, I was able to go down in the southern part of Ecuador with our director, and we were visiting some churches, and that Sunday we were down there, we were visiting some Shuar churches. Now the Shuar Indians, they're known over history because they're headhunters. Uh, thank goodness the government of Ecuador has outlawed headhunting, so we can go visit our church people knowing that we're gonna come out that day with head attached. Um, but we went down there that day, and. And they were excited to see us, and they said, hey, we're going to have a special meal for you afterwards. And I went, oh, no. I don't know what that means. But that day, got done with church, went out back, and they uh, gathered around, and they brought out the main course, which was monkey. And I'd not had monkey before that, and it, it really wasn't bad. It was a smoked meat, so it was, it was good, had good taste to it. Um, but then they brought out the drink, the special drink called chicha, 
And from our 15 years in Venezuela, I knew chicha to be a drink made out of rice and milk. And so I thought, okay, this is going to be all right. I didn't understand that uh, the, the Schwar make their chicha just a little bit different. They use yuca, and yuca is a root like potato. And they give that uh, yuca to the ladies to prepare the drink. And they take it and they chew it up. And then they spit it out in a bowl. And then they set that bowl out in the sun to get good and warm and ripe. And then as visitors, we get to stand in a circle with the church people and pass that bowl around and take a drink. Yeah, it wasn't good. <laughs> but I have some team members that come down, and the very first thing, the, night, the first night, they'll say things like, hey, what's a food or drink that we, could, we don't have in the States that they have here in Ecuador that we could try while we're here? And I'm like, why would you ask that question? But those people should be in the missionary box. But what I've realized is the box that I have created that all missionaries would, would fit in, God doesn't look at that box. God looks at the heart. And I believe that when God calls us to, to do whatever he's asking us to do, he will equip us and enable us to do the job he's asking us to do. Well, 30 years ago, I went on a work and witness trip. I went on a trip to Venezuela, and I met a missionary there. He didn't fit in my box. Um, but he was just there building churches. And so he, I had a lot of questions for him. I was asking him how he got there and what he was doing and what it was like to build churches. And, and all day he answered my question. We got to the end of the day and he said, uh, now let me ask you one question. And that question changed our lives. And that question was, when is the last time that you've stepped out in faith, not knowing how you'd get to where God was leading you to go unless you allowed God to get you there? And I thought at first, it can't be a hard question. I grew up in the church. I knew all about faith. But as I thought about it, I kind of got stuck because I realized I had never taken a step of faith like that. As an accountant, for me, everything, I need to put the numbers on the paper. I have to balance it out. I always have to figure out the plan. But that's not a step of faith. If you've got it all figured out and you have all the resources, there is no step of faith there. It's only where God asks us to rely on him and we take that step of faith and we have to allow God to work through us to make it happen. That's a step of faith. And I told the missionary that day that I had not done that. And he said, why don't you think about coming back to the mission field and working with me and figuring out more about what missions is all about. And I surely wasn't with me on that trip. So when I went home, I told Shirley, I said, that crazy missionary thinks we should moved to the mission field. Well, over the next couple years, we did a few more trips, but we kept feeling God leading us to take that step of faith. And we prayed about it and tried to figure it out, and we, we decided eventually in 1992 we were going to take that step of faith, and we moved to Venezuela for what we thought would be one year as volunteers on the mission field. Now, 29 years later, we're, we're done. And I know had God said to me in the beginning that you're going to be a missionary your entire life and you're going to go 29 years on the field and your kids are going to grow up there, but then they're going to move back to the States and they won't be around. And, and I, I know I would have said no. I know I would have said, hey, God, take the guy in the box. Take the guy that fits the mold for, to be a missionary, not the accountant. But God just says, hey, I need you. Follow me. I'll take care of everything that you need to, to know and do. So we left in 1992 for what was one year and ended up being 29, stepping out in faith. We've worked with a lot of teams over the years building churches and doing other ministries, and I have a video that I want to show, 
and it shows a lot of, of what we do with the teams and some of the teams and a lot of kids and shows Shirley put this together. She threw in a bunch of pictures from our first year in Venezuela in 1992. So uh, let's watch the video and then I'll talk about some of our church planting. 29 years ago when we left to go build buildings in uh, South America and Venezuela, I knew the job was when the team came down, get the building built. Teams always want to accomplish as much as possible. Uh, they want to take pictures, go home, show everybody what they've done. I now tell teams when they're there, I say, you guys have come to build a church. And if we have time, we're going to work on the building. Because building the church is not the building. Building God's church are the people in those communities that we need to work with. You saw a lot of kids in the, in the video, and we've done a lot with kids over the years, a lot of uh, vacation Bible school type things and sports ministry with kids. In the beginning, in order to get the buildings done, uh, there would always be kids come to see what we're doing on the job site. And I would tell Shirley, I say, get these kids out of here. We can't have kids on the job site. They're going to get hurt. Move them aside. We realized you can't just move them aside, but you need to do ministry with those kids. After 15 years in Venezuela, we realized that the kids that were four and five when we first got there, by the time we left the country, they were 20 years old. Those are a lot of our pastors. And we're thankful that we're able to do ministry with a lot of those kids and allow them to see how they could plug in and become leaders in the church. You know, I've realized over the last number of years, we've done a lot more two-story buildings, and I've realized, hey, it's really great having those kids on the job site. You know, when you have a, a pile of a thousand blocks that have to go up to the second floor where you're going to lay the, uh, the, the walls up, man, nothing better than those kids. They'll grab blocks and they'll run up the stairs and put the block up there and run down for another one, grab it, run up the stairs. Sometimes the little kids, man, two of them it takes to lift a block, but they, they go marching up the stairs and come down for another one. I have my, my team members, they, they grab a block and they go up to the second floor and I don't ever see them again. They never come down. I go up to find out where they've all gone, and while they're up there helping, they're grabbing the blocks from the kids and strategically placing them around where the walls are going to go, working together. But those kids are so excited. That's their, their church building, and they, they get an opportunity to help. And I know those kids, at the end of the day, they go home and they tell their friends, and, hey, I was over at the church, and the Americans were over, and they let me help uh, build the building, our church building, and, and man, tomorrow you got to come with me. you got to be part of this. Those kids are like little evangelists, man. Something exciting is happening in their lives, and they want their friends to be part of that. They want to go tell their friends and bring their friends to church so that their friends can be part of that excitement. Man, as adults... We need to have that excitement. We need to be like that. We need to, something exciting happening at church, something exciting happening in our lives, God's moving. Man, we need to go tell our neighbors. We need to go tell our friends and bring them along to be part of that. We need to get the attitude that those kids have and the, the willingness to just run out and share that with our friends and have them be part of that. But we've been planting churches. We have one district superintendent. His name is... Uh, Pastor Mario Paredes, and because he's a district superintendent, I just shorten all that and call him Super Mario. And Super Mario's been planting churches. He's planted 19 churches in the seven years before COVID started. Two years of COVID, he's not been able to get out and plant churches, and so he's just waiting for Ecuador to open up again so that he can go out and plant churches again. And Pastor Mario, as he's planting these 19 churches, he's working in partnership with Compassion International. Compassion International organization that sponsors kids. We've worked with them in a lot of our churches, but over the years, they've always said, hey, if you have a pastor and a building and people to work with the kids, then we'll 
help you have a program to go out and reach kids in your community. But nine years ago, they came to Pastor Mario and they said, we want to work with kids that need help in areas where there are no churches. You don't have churches, nobody has churches in these communities, and we, in order to work with these kids, we need a church. Would you be willing as the Church of the Nazarene to go out and plant churches in these communities? And Pastor Mario, they came up with a strategy where Pastor Mario would plant churches in some of these communities. And the idea is with a list of 200 kids, they would start the program and those kids would be the start of, of the church. Now, Pastor Mario had to look for pastors that would uh, be willing to plant a church, starting with 200 kids. There's a lot of pastors that like to start churches, but man, they want adults. They don't just want 200 kids. But Mario found pastors that had a passion for kids and their families. And these kids are, are just the link to the families. These kids all have parents, grandparents, brothers and sisters, and that's the ones that we want to reach out to and, and, and get into our churches. You know, we asked Pastor Mario, why is it that you have this desire to plant churches faster than all of our other districts combined? Nobody has planted 19 churches in the last seven years like Pastor Mario, so we, we, we tried to get to understand why. And Mario says, well, it goes back to my testimony. See, I grew up in a family, and we didn't know Jesus. We didn't go to church. My dad was an alcoholic. He actually uh, would come home, and he would abuse me and my brothers and sisters and my mom. And he says, I grew up hating my dad, and I couldn't wait to get out of the house so that I didn't have to be part of that. He says, and it continued on until it, uh, somebody planted a Nazarene church three blocks from our house. And when that church was there, somebody came and invited my dad to church. And when my dad went to church, he found Jesus Christ was the answer. My dad stopped drinking. My dad changed. And Mario says, I was reluctant to, to go to church until I really saw there was a change in my dad. But when there was, I said, I want to go see what that's all about. And as a young teenager, Mario went and found Jesus Christ and was able to forgive his dad and got called into full-time ministry to be a pastor. And now he's our district superintendent. And Pastor Mario says that in all the communities out there on my district, there's families in the exact same situation that my family was in. And it won't be until we take Jesus Christ to those communities and those families that we're going to break that cycle and those families can get out of that. And those kids are part of that and we need to take Jesus Christ out to them so they know that there's an, an answer. And so Pastor Mario has this vision to plant churches all around his district and, and he's doing that. Pastor Mario's reaching out and uh, he tells, uh, as we go out and work, he says, you know, I don't want to do anything in these communities and with these kids that the parents aren't aware of what we're doing. So I always want to tell the parents what we're doing so, so there's no surprises. And so if we're uh, teaching the kids Bible stories, then we call all parent meetings and tell the parents what we're teaching and tell the parents the Bible stories. And at Easter time, he says, you know, we call an all-parent meeting and we have to tell the parents about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means to us because that's what we're going to be teaching the kids. Boy, it almost sounds like a church service, but it's not. It's just an all-parent meeting. Mario's getting the parents to understand why we're there as the Church of the Nazarene and why we want to be helping those kids. We've gone out with work teams and we've been working out there and as we're out there working, there's parents that are working uh, on the job site. Mario requires that the parents put in one day a month to work on the job site. 
Now, they're not skilled laborers, but they're just there and shoveling and moving dirt and sand and, and whatever it takes. But they're there for one day. But when we show up as a team, they're watching. They want to know why we've come as a church of the Nazarene from the United States, why a bunch of Americans are down there to build a building so that their child can have a meal and can go to class and, have, and, and be taught. You know, that's what work and witness, that's the witness of the work and witness part. Being with those, those parents that are wondering why we're there. And so we take time and we share with them and we get to know them and, and we show God's love to them. You know, I have a lot of people when they talk about work and witness and a team going out and it seems like they always get stuck on the word work. And so they're like, I can't go, I can't do that work, I can't do that construction stuff, I'm too old, I can't do that work, whatever it is. And I'm like, man, you need to get past the work and the work and witness and go right to the witness. It's all about showing God's love. The work, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of people that can do the work, and that's great, but there's a lot of people that can just do a lot of the loving on the people. I tell the church sometimes, I say, man, you need to change the name to witness and work so they can get stuck on the witness word, and the work just comes afterwards. But they don't listen to me. It's still work and witness. But I want you to know the witness is as important as the work, if not more important. Uh, part of, part of uh, coordinating work and witness teams, and I've thought about over the years, everybody thinks my job is to, to get ready for the team and help the team build the building. And man, I've found out that coordinating work and witness, there's a lot more to it. Because as I coordinate, I have to coordinate a team that comes from the States, and man, they want to get it done. They want to, to build a building. They want to lay the blocks. They want to pour the concrete. They want to take pictures of what they've got done. But then I've got my Ecuadorian church people normally that they're there and they can really literally stand around and talk all day and they'd be really happy. It's not that they can't do the work, they definitely can do the work. But man, this might be their only opportunity to meet brothers and sisters in Christ from another culture. They want to build relationships. They want to find out about the team members. They want to find out about their churches. So coordinating work and witnesses, how do you do both? How do you get to know the church people and build relationships and get the building done. And that's where it comes in. You work them together and you try and tell the team. And it's really difficult because not many Americans that go down speak Spanish and no Ecuadorians speak English down there that we're working with. And so how do you do that? How do you get together? How do you work them? And a lot of times I just have to tell the team members, man, you're going to have to do some charades or something, but you got to make an effort to get to know them. Building God's church, getting to know those people. Pastor Mario knows that as he reaches out in his communities and, and he, he's planted these 19 new works, and that started nine years ago, and some of the kids that started the programs nine years ago, they were four and five years old, now they're 14 and 15, and they're realizing that they have a call on their lives to be pastors or to be missionaries, and Mario's new dream is that he wants to create at his district center a place where he can go out and minister uh, and, and have these teens go along and help be part of his tools to go out and minister on his district. As he plants new churches, he's thinking, man, I got a pastor with 200 kids. That's a tough, tough job to start a church with 200 kids. But if I can send a young group of teens along that they can be out there uh, helping him, that would sure lighten the load for the pastor and give them the experience and what they're looking for in training as they want to step up and be ministers as well. 
Mario knows eventually these kids will be going to the seminary in Quito possibly, and so they're going to get training. But before they get to that age, he wants to get them involved. He wants to get them serving. He wants to get them stepping out in faith themselves. You know, when Mario first started uh, planting these churches, he came to me and he said, John, I'm going to need some teams. I'm going to plant some churches. I said, great, tell me about your first one. He, he told me about his, his plan to plant these churches, and I was all on board. And I said, tell me about the first one so I can raise a team. I want to promote this. And he said, well, I've got five places picked out. And I said, no, Mario, I need to know the first one because I know you're going to go with one, and then when that one's working, you're going to go to two, and when that one's working, you go to three. And Mario said, no, I'm, I'm feeling God's asking me to step out in faith and start five new churches. You know, back when I first went to the mission field, I told our parents where we were going. We were going to go for a year, volunteer, quit our jobs, leave the country. Told my dad we're leaving, and dad wasn't real happy. Shocked me. I thought, dad, he's a Nazarene. He's going to be, he's going to be really excited that his son is going to be a missionary. No. Dad took me aside and said, you can't do this. You have a family. You have kids. You have you have a job, you have a house, you can't just quit everything and move to South America. I forgot my two kids at the time were my dad's only two grandkids. That's what he was worried about. I was taking them to South America, and all I could really say was, Dad, I don't have the answers you're looking for, but I feel God's asking us to step out in faith and go for a year. And we've got to believe that if God's calling us to go, that he will take care of us and answer all these questions that we have. And that you have. And as I look back, I realized that my dad was kind of that negative voice that I was for Mario. And I was telling Mario, no, don't go with five churches. Start with one. Start slow and then see how it works. And then and Mario was like, no, God's asking me to step out in faith and I need to do that. Start five churches. And what I realized is that when God asks us to step out in faith, he doesn't speak in a voice loud enough that everybody around us can hear. He speaks to us individually. He asks us to step up, step out, trust in him. And there may be people around us that say, whoa, wait a second, I don't know about that. Eventually, we hope they come on board as my dad did with us and as I did with Mario, and we come on and, and help. But the important thing is that when God speaks to us, that we take those steps of faith. You know, the more that I come back to the, to the States and I look around and I go to churches and I speak, I realize that outside every one of our doors is a mission field. Sometimes different cultures, different languages, our families are a mission field. And if this is a mission field around this church and you are all here, that would make you all the missionaries here. Are you ready to step up and take a step of faith? Is God asking you to take a step of faith? Get involved, see what that would be like. As the missionary I'm speaking, step of faith, you might be thinking, well, go to the mission field. It might be. It might be go long-term, short-term, but it might be just get involved here at home. It might be step of faith, get involved in church. God might be calling you to be a youth pastor, senior pastor, children's pastor, just a, a worker, just somebody that helps with vacation Bible school. It might be God's just saying, go talk to your neighbor, invite him to church. That might be a step of faith for you. And the great thing is when we step up and accomplish something great for God, we really can't say, look what I did, because we didn't do it. God did it. All we can really say is glory to God for what he was able to do 
when we just said yes. In Ephesians, it says that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. Immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Man, what are we asking? What are we asking God to do in our neighborhoods, in our church? What are we imagining God could do? He wants to do better than that. In our families, are we imagining? Are we asking? Because God wants to do immeasurably more than that. We're going to have to step up in faith to see that happen. We're going to have to step out and allow God to work through us to where we can't figure it out maybe and God is going to have to come in and work through us to get it done. Stepping out in faith. So I'm going to end with that same challenge that was put before me 30 years ago. When is the last time that you've taken a step of faith? Not knowing how you'd get to where God was asking you to go unless you allowed God to get you there. God's working all over the world, but he's working right here as well. And he needs people to answer the call and step up, step out in faith. Thank you. I'd encourage us to uh, pause right now and, and let's pray and think about that challenge that was put before us. Would you just give God a little bit of real estate this morning by closing your eyes, just kind of uh, slowing down? And let's just take a, a couple seconds here to just kind of evaluate where we're at in our faith journey. When's the last time we did do something that took risk, that took God? How many of us understand that our world is hurting, our world is broken, right here locally, families and bodies? Think about around the world, poverty, hungry, people, wars, conflict. Who would be the person who would be willing to say, you know, I'll give part of my life. I might give my entire life to, to lead the states to be on a missions team and somehow. How many of us would be willing to say, God, I, you can use me, <clears throat> the resources, from my time to my finances to, to make a difference, to make an impact? God, would you work in our hearts? You desperately want those who follow you to join you in what you're doing for a broken world, people far from you, confused and hurt, would you help us be that person that reaches, that cares, that shares the good news of your love and healing power in our lives. We thank you for John and Shirley. That was they are a young couple, two little babies. They heard you knocking, and they were willing to say yes. And you've been faithful. You provided all their needs. Now they're coming to the end of their career time of being on the front lines of your mission work. Would you continue to help them, bless them as they transition into a new chapter, new ministry? We're praying for their daughter, son-in-law, their little baby now, willing to go back, back to the jungles, back to different cultures, back to people, and love and coordinate your kingdom. Help them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, friends, uh, thank you for being here today. I just want to close with a couple of challenges. If this has intrigued you, if this is something that you're interested in, maybe you're like, man, I've never really thought about world missions. I know what the missions are happening around here in America, but but uh, I'd like to keep track of some missionaries, maybe even possibly be part of a short-term missions team. We call them work and witness teams. I might be interested in that. We want to encourage you to fill out this impact. Well, it's called impact, but it's really a, a information card. If you give us your name and your email, place that in our offering boxes. We have two of them there going out, one in our lobby slide that in there, then we're going to collect these names and kind of make a pool of interested people and then keep you abreast on what's happening through Faithbrook when it comes to world missions and this global church, Church of the Nazarene. And so we got a couple of team members here, uh, Dave Mingus and Steve Flynn, that will can help you out. So give us your name and your email, and then they're going to get back with you, keep you abreast, kind of like a newsletter, what's happening globally as Faithbrook makes an impact. Second thing I want to encourage you is, is to help financially. So one thing about missionaries is they don't have a local church wherever they are sent to help provide, to feed their family and pay their insurance and uh, gas and things, a roof over their head. They have to rely on people back in their home churches or home states to provide them financial help. And that comes to us. Now, I might not be called to the mission field, but I know some missionaries, and we have about 500 missionaries that are called and sent. But God's calling me and my wife to give a portion of what he's given to us to help these missionaries fund their way. One of the things about Faithbrook and how we do mission work, world missions, is that we don't ask our missionaries to be fundraisers. Uh, um, let alone to be sometimes to be preachers. You can be an accountant and be a, a missionary, right? So they leave it up to us to say, hey, we're going to help you out in that department. We're going we're gonna to send you, and you can be on the front lines of mission work, and you don't have to worry about if someone's not going to drop their donations or if you're going to be able to have a paycheck in three months or whatever. We as a church are going to collect money. Each member, each attendee, you're going to give, and then we're going to systematically, consistently make sure that your family, your medical needs are taken care of. That's kind of how we work. So he, he didn't talk about too much about finances, uh, but uh, he's asked us, our missionaries ask us to say, hey, could you do that? And so we're here to say, hey, we want to help you out. Now, there's a couple ways how you could give financially to help the fishers and their daughters and the other missionaries. And one is you can, you can write a check. Some people through the years have just written a couple of, of generous checks through the years, dropped it in our offering plate or offering box or, or send it in the mail. A lot of people are taking advantage of giving electronically. It's much easier and it's much consistent that way. <clears throat> I would encourage you, if you don't have our church app, you can go to your app store on your, your, your phone and download. It's called Church uh, App. And uh, you download it and pick Faithbrook Church. And then you put a profile like a lot of other apps. And then I'm, I'm looking at it right here. There's my good-looking face. And at the bottom, there's all kinds of information about what's happening at Faithbrook. So you can register your kids early. They're going to talk about different events, uh, <clears throat> once our services, and things like that. There's also a Give button. So I give this give button right here, and let, let's say that uh, uh, I choose that I'm going to give $30 a, a month. I go boom, boom, and it says next, and then it's going to ask a drop down where you want that money to go. 
Well, there's a couple categories. Uh, we have a category for just general fund. That, that helps uh, underwrite the functions and the ministries uh, through this local church right here. But in that, there's also missions. And so I would choose, well, this $30, I want to go missions. And then, then it's going to ask you, is that just a one-time, or is that going to be reoccurring? Well, Terry and I have found through the years, if we give reoccurring, if we adjust our lifestyle a little bit and put it in our budget, and then we put our bank account name in there, it just automatically drafts out $30 a month. Well, you do that 12 months uh, a year, how much is that? Before you know it, we're making a financial impact for these missionaries around the world. Now, that's not exactly our number, but you got to ask the Lord, what, what would be your number? May I challenge you that would you be willing to give a dollar a day for, to 500 missionaries so they can stay on the front line uh, in missions work? Now, we, we want them to come back a little bit and report and encourage us like they did a great job. But would you pray about that? Maybe a dollar a day. You know, that's $365 a year that would help missionaries feed their families, put a roof over their head, gas in their vans and cars to go and do the work of the Lord. Think about that. Maybe you're a teenager here today. Say, well, maybe you could give $10 a month. You can write a little check or a cash, put it in our offering box or get our church app or somewhere. God is asking you, some of you, uh, God has blessed you tremendously and uh, financially. And you could maybe not just to give to Faithbrook here, but on that other little category of missions, give some dollars to help uh, propel the work of Jesus Christ. And a global impact is um, coming through you and through this church as we uh, touch more people, reach more people. But it takes an act of courage. It takes an act of faith to step out and say, God, I'm willing to adjust financially, to give generously for people I don't even know their language. I might never meet them ever, but one day in heaven, I might bump into them. They say, I know who you are because you gave to John and Shirley Fisher and they went to Ecuador. They went to Venezuela. And I was that child. I was that person in that village. And because a missionary came to my town that was supported, I found Christ and my life was changed. Would you think about that and pray about that? Well, why don't we stand and I'll close this out in a prayer and then we can be dismissed. And by the way, we have a little lunch for the fishers. If you want to stick around and have lunch with us, uh, you're welcome to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. You were the first missionary. You were the first one that said, I am leaving my home of heaven and coming down to the world that was in trouble. You were the first one that said, man, I'm willing to sacrifice. I'm willing to go to the cross and give my life for all those who realized they needed a, a savior, a forgiveness and a heart healing. Would you help us, God, to have that same attitude as we go forth to our neighbors, to our coworkers, to our family members, and, and also for people around the world? Thank you for the fishers again. Bless them. We love you. Ask these things in your name. Amen. John, he, Johnson and Shirley's going to be out in the lobby. Be sure to greet them. Stick around. A cup of coffee. God bless. You're dismissed. <laughs>